Welcome to a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman coming to you from Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. And we've got to talk about it. We've got to talk live. Uh, this is a topic of conversation that I've been putting off for a couple of weeks. Obviously, it's a huge story, not only in our game, but in our in our sport, in sport in general, in politics, in whatever it is. And I don't think it necessarily needs the uh, the blow-by-blow blow recap twice a week, see what's going on. There's so much rampant speculation that there's not even a lot of concrete information coming out that often. So I figured kind of doing these more broader check-ins to see what came true, what hasn't come true, and where we're going from here. That feels a bit more realistic about what we're kind of able to accomplish here since everything is changing so quickly. So this week, as you're listening to this, they are putting on uh, another event. Trump Bedminster is the host for this week, and it's bringing out uh, lots of protests uh, from families of of 9-11 and a lot of other people. Now, this is um, the first event that they're holding, I guess they played in Boston as well, but um, now an East Coast event in New York or in New Jersey, technically, uh, which is bringing out a lot of a, a lot of different storylines. So let's get up to speed here on what's happened since the last time we've done a little bit of one of these deeper dives on the state of golf and the state of, of live golf. They've got some new additions, uh, notably Charles Howe III, Jason Kokrak, Henrik Stenson. Talk about those guys. They're the newest additions to the actual field, guys that are playing in the Bedminster event. And what you'll notice is the way that they release these additions, the way that they release these signings, it's very strategic. It's very well thought out. So essentially, a week out from an event, they will show 45 of the golfers that are in the field, and then they they tweet out you know, uh, those three empty squares that say TBD or to be announced. And what that creates is just rampant speculation from everybody in the media and everybody around of who those three golfers are going to be. And they might be, you know, I think in the first event, there were some guys that qualified through an Asian tour event. And then if they have new signings to announce and to play, it allows them to reserve spots for them. And it's smart, right? It allows for this constant trickle, this constant, Um, media circus around who is going to be next to defect. And there is a little bit of NFL news cycle in this. The NFL is uh, a 24-7, 365 news cycle, right? If it's not 18 weeks of regular season football, it's playoffs, it is training camp, it is the NFL draft, it is uh, trades happening. You are talking about the NFL 365 days a year. Live Golf is trying to create something like that. They're obviously not going to be able to do it on a larger scale, but the idea is to be constantly in the news cycle between events. They've got signings and they've got appearances and they're announcing uh, musical acts and all this other stuff. Like, like that's that's strategic. It's very well thought out. Charles Howe III, honestly, to me, one of the most interesting case studies of what we've had thus far. Uh, This is a guy who's made tens of million dollars on the PGA Tour, probably doesn't have a lot of endorsement money along the way because he's not really a notable, but a guy who 
very much took advantage of uh, the PGA Tour's meritocracy. He was able to retain his PGA Tour card for 20 years, and he was able to make a lot of money along the way without ever winning all that often. I think he's got three wins uh, in his 20-year career. He was also a big beneficiary of the Tiger effect, right? Being, a, being in golf for that long at that period of time, taking advantage of the significant increases from all the Tiger money, all the TV money, you could argue Charles Howe III was one of the biggest benefactors of, of that uh, because he wasn't a superstar. He never won as much as everybody else or as much as guys who had their card as long as he did, and he made a lot of money along the way. And now he gets the opportunity to cash in even more by going to live, playing for a lot more money, getting upfront cash. He did indeed say money was not part of the decision. He's lying. That's a joke. It obviously was. Uh, Jason Kokrak, finally in the field. The, Jason Kokrak, believe it or not, is the golfer I respect the most during this entire process. But months out of live even becoming a real thing, Jason Kokrak was like, yeah, where, where do I sign? Right? And I believe the quote that he gave was, I want to make as much money in as short a period of time as possible so that I don't have to continue to work, so that I can retire, so that I can provide for future families. He, he made it very clear it's a monetary decision. And he was one of the first and one of the few, only few guys who've actually come out and said that, which I appreciate. So there was... I'm actually shocked it didn't happen sooner. Missed a couple of events. Now he's part of Live. Obviously, I think he's been wearing the the Golf Saudi logo. He's been, you know, heavily connected with Kevin Na. Like it's it's we knew this was coming. I'm actually a little bit surprised that it took as long as it did. Uh Henrik Stenson, they got as well. And from a zoom out look, Henrik Stenson's the perfect fit for Live. It's it's a golfer who has uh, international name recognition, a guy who at, at his peak was phenomenal, one of the best players in the world, but is not nearly as competitive as he used to be. And I think that's putting it fairly generously, that he's not as um, competitive as he used to be. Now, the, the extra wrinkle in Henrik Stenson is that he was the European Ryder Cup captain, the current European Ryder Cup captain, which is going to take place next year, right? We're going to have the President's Cup this fall, well, the Ryder Cup next year. And that likely adds to the inherent value of him to live golf, right? Live can say, what, what does live want at this point? They want an opportunity to be validated. They want to be uh, placed on the same level as the PGA Tour, if not more. They want to be taken seriously in the world of golf. It's why they have gone after, you know, um, major champions uh, waning at the end of their career or guys who have been the number one player in the world so that they can say, our roster includes six former number one players. Um, our roster includes X number of major championships. That's a strategy. So being able to say... Our roster includes, I guess they can't say it anymore, but like the the European Ryder Cup captain, it's a big deal. It says that this is a real thing. And Stenson, um, I don't know, he seemed to think that he was going to be able to do both, which doesn't make any sense. More on that in just a second. But the other idea for Liv is to uh, create a lot of instability in the game, right? To um, fracture the game. And by 
ripping out an installed captain uh, from the Ryder Cup is is very destabilizing. So that's that's all part of the game plan. Um, Stenson released this very long statement about it's unfortunate that it came to this and that he made a, um, oh, what did he say? He had such a great quote about it. He didn't say it was a financial decision. Oh, he had such a good quote. I'll, I'll think about it or I'll look it up at what it is. But basically said, hey, it's about the money. I kind of thought I was going to be able to keep the Ryder Cup captaincy. Obviously, the European Tour could in no way let that happen, right? The European Tour, which even with its strategic alliance with the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour, I believe, owned 15%. Now, in the most recent version of that strategic alliance, now up to 40%, there was never a scenario in which the European Tour was going to let their captain of the Ryder Cup team go on and be a part of live. It was never going to happen. Um, so, obviously, immediately, he's been removed, and Luke Donald is seemingly going to take the place of European Ryder Cup captaincy. David Faraday has been added to the mix. Is that a big deal, David Faraday? I don't know. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Thanks. Um, David Faraday is interesting. So outside of golfers, uh, there is another path for Liv to create eyeballs, to create attention, to create um, storylines, and to further destabilize what the current ecosystem is. And David Faraday, at one point, was was likely um, one of the most popular golf personalities out there. He still might be. It, it's just kind of hard to gauge because of how he's been used recently. So from my understanding, the show that he had, Faraday, where he would sit down and do a talk show with um, you know players and caddies and other people in the industry and and you know have these just one on one conversations. That doesn't exist anymore. So Golf Channel uh, canceled that. And Golf Channel being part of NBC, um, NBC then now really only deploys Faraday, I believe, in like like featured, not even featured holes. Like they will they will stick him on a hole. It'll be like hole 16. He'll be up in the tower and he'll call action from there every once in a while. So it doesn't even seem like he's being utilized at all. I don't even want to say that he's being utilized poorly or that he's being utilized very well. He's just not being utilized at all. So it kind of makes sense for him to be able to say, okay, well, if you're not going to use me, I'm going to go to a place that is probably going to very much lean into me. Now, I do wonder what the perception of David Faraday is going to be moving forward. There's such a positive uh, reaction to him, I think, in general, and as there was to Jerry Fultz. Jerry Fultz very widely respected amongst his peers. He was a great advocate for the LPGA. Um, Nobody had anything bad to say about Jerry Fultz, and then the second he got to live, it turned into this quite honestly, like propaganda machine, right? Where he's got to tell you that even though to all of our best efforts, the merchandise, the great merchandise that has been stocked, well overstocked in the merch tent has been sold out. And like, it's just like laying it on pretty thick. We'll see if David Faraday follows suit, which would be a little bit disappointing, but we'll see how that goes. And then finally, Bubba Watson. And I think Bubba is going to create a lot of... Now, this is technically, as of right now, this is just reported. It's well-sourced. He's going. We kind of knew about this. When he had that... um, He had a procedure done. He had surgery done on his knee uh, earlier this year. A lot of us expected that, hey, he's probably not playing again until he goes to live. That was kind of the expectation. But I think Bubba is going to create a lot of of controversy. He's a well-known name. He 
He hasn't won since 2018. So again, kind of falls in line with guys that are maybe at the tail end of their career. Obviously a multiple time uh, masters winner that goes a long way for what you're trying to build over at live. But Bubba's been such a big advocate for adoption, right? I mean, both of his children are adopted. He spends a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money into being an advocate for adoption. And that's illegal in Saudi Arabia, right? Like there is no adoption. Doesn't exist. Not frowned upon. Illegal. Uh, punishable. And you wonder what the backlash for Bubba is going to be. Bubba, I think, already elicits a lot of emotions from people. There are generally people who empathize for him. He's been very open about um, some of the mental health issues that he's gone through um, in his career. Uh, and I think that... Uh, there are also a lot of people who look at him and say, okay, you know, he kind of drapes, um, he'll drape the Bible around himself, right? And he'll say, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll burst out and uh, have an outburst on Ted Scott and hashtag pray for Ted Scott will start trending. And then he'll say after the round, you know, I need to do better. I need to be a, a, bit, a better man of faith or whatever it is. Um, you should read his book. Not that I think you should buy his book. I think you should read it. I read it. It's not particularly great, but I do think it gives a little bit of insight into at least a little bit of the mentality that is Bubba Watson, which kind of makes the decision to go to live even more surprising. Um, I've already described Bubba Watson's book. I think it's called Up, Up and Down or Ups and Downs uh, as a glorified reading of his Wikipedia page, which I still believe that it is, but there are a few chapters in there that I think don't necessarily jive with a decision that he's made here. So I imagine um, that Bubba's going to be asked a lot of questions that he's going to have to answer for, um, and we'll see what those what those answers are. LiveGolf has applied for OWGR rankings. That's something that we have known is going to be a key component of their sustainability moving forward, not financially, but their sustainability in getting players. Uh, if players are unable to play major championships or are required to play Asian tour events to garner OWGR points, that's going to probably hinder their recruiting process. More on more on the Asian tour stuff in a second, but the official World Golf Ranking Board released a very purred, happily-esque statement, basically just saying Live Golf has applied for inclusion in the OWGR rankings. Their application is now under review. That is it. Literally nothing else. And the understanding is that this process takes at least a year. We'll see. There are, there are precedents, including the PGA Tour, I think when they went to get the Latin American Tour included, um, of expediting that. Now, will the board, the seven-person board in which two of them are Keith Pelley of the DP World Tour and Jay Monahan of the PGA Tour, will they be all that interested in expediting this application process? Very, very much unlikely there. So we'll see. In the meantime, these players are going to tank. There is um, a really great Twitter. If you're not following uh, Nosferatu on Twitter, I believe it's uh, his Twitter handle is like VC606 or something like that. But search Nosferatu. He is like the resident OWGR and point system guy. And he has pointed out how much uh, these golfers are going to drop even before we get to Augusta National, even before we get to you know nine months from now 
for the Masters, how much these guys are going to drop, and very few of them are going to be eligible for major championships if something doesn't change. So go check that out. He tweeted out a couple of items with um, a few assumptions along the way, right? You've got to assume that they might not play Asian Tour events, but you assume that they could play just the Saudi International. A lot of these guys who have already committed to live have played in that Saudi event before, which is an Asian tour event. So that is at least one event in which if they all get together, they can create a lot of OWGR points along the way. So there are some assumptions there, but that is going to be a really uh, noteworthy thing to keep an eye on because that might stop recruitment or vice versa. If, if, if the OWGR board came out tomorrow and said, yeah, Liv is getting OWGR points, you might see a mass exodus, right? We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that, keep our ear to the ground. But there are a lot of different ways that this thing games out over the course of the next nine months, or even over the course of the next um, six months, maybe over the next three months, more, more on that. Um, the PGA Tour did release a memo to its players noting that the golfers who are currently in the FedEx Cup standings, who have not resigned from the PGA Tour, but who are suspended, will obviously be removed from the FedEx Cup standings before the playoffs. So we are a week out, a week and a half out from the FedEx Cup uh, playoffs starting, where the top 125 are going to get in. And there are still golfers, uh, Brooks Kepka, Abraham Anser, uh, Pat Perez, at last check, who are still very much in the 125 to to get those play they're, they're not playing right they're not playing there's i've gotten i got a couple of questions like hey rick do you think these guys are going to play no they're definitely not they were never going to and now jay monahan has made it official so prior to the rocket mortgage classic steven yeager was golfer number 133 in the fedex cup standings jay monahan essentially confirming that he is what what is now the bubble boy he is being considered number 125 because there are eight guys that have to be removed from the standing. So when you look at the FedEx Cup standings, guys that are 131, 132, they are very much still likely to get in because there are golfers that have to be taken out of consideration. In terms of announcements, uh, Live Golf has made many, many more announcements, or I don't think this has been announced, but it's been confirmed through Live spokespeople. So it's it's solid. This this. I, I will say, tip of the cap, the reporting on this has been generally very, very good. In a situation where there have been a million moving parts with a lot of different guys who cannot make up their minds, the general reporting on this has been fairly solid. League changes and timeline changes. So, for 2023, which is next year, Liv will have 14 events. That is up from the original proposal of 10 events. So already they are expanding kind of the footprint of the schedule. They have not announced locations. They said they've got, you know, a bunch of locations in the works. You have to imagine these are going to be non-PGA Tour venues across the globe, primarily in the United States with a few international options um, that might not have the infrastructure in place for a PGA Tour event, right? If you only need to put up a couple of grandstands, that's one thing compared to putting up multiple grandstands all over the place. So that's probably what you're looking at. Um, and places that already have no, like obviously all the TPCs are out. Obviously any place that has hosted or wants to host a PGA Tour event, they're out. Here's the big one. So the format changes here. 
and we kind of knew about this. Liv wants to have the same 48 players in every event. I don't know if this is feasible, but if it is, it's the only way to go. This, this is a, a, a necessity, if you ask me, because at the core, they, they can't just be a way for golfers to make a lot of money. It, they can't be. It can't be. At its core, it has to be a competitive, ideally for them, team event. The team aspect is where Liv makes money. Uh, do they turn a profit? Maybe. Does Liv, Does the golf league turn a profit? Never. Does other stuff turn a profit? Maybe. You need to have 12 teams of four that you can sell, uh, whether that is an all-Spanish team and you sell it to Spanish investors or a Spanish-based company or an all-Australian team or an all-Japanese team or whatever it is, or team tailor-made, right? I don't think tailor-made is going to get involved, but you get the point, right? And you sell this to either a company or wealthy individuals and you do it F1 style and you say each one of our teams costs $200 million. Well, yeah, now, now you've got a path to profitability and it would be a way to, I mean, think about an NFL uh, franchise. Uh, a, a wealthy person <laughs> buys an NFL franchise with the idea of having something cool in his portfolio or her portfolio and then also a way to, to, to make money off the merch, off the, off the naming rights, off of TV deals, off of all of these other entities, you have a way to make money. They're looking at it, at it as an investment, similar to the way that F1 is set up. You know, Mercedes-Benz doesn't have an F1 team out of the goodness of their heart, right? They are, one, trying to be well-known and well-branded in this industry, but also make money off the endeavor, obviously. That's what... Live is going to try to do and having, and, and so with that being said, you cannot have a rotating cast of golfers in your league or on your teams, because what you might sell as a team might be access to these players. Well, you can't have it if they're coming and going, you don't get to dip into that. The other thing is, um, there, there, if you're doing team wide payouts at the end of the year, and you have players rotating through, how does that work, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. You're, you're trying to get fans and owners and all of these people to buy into the process, buy into the team, buy into the fandom of it. You cannot have these rotating characters all the time. It doesn't make sense. So, 48 players, 12 teams of four, um, playing at least 14 events in 2023. What I also find interesting about this timeline is that if you are going to get 48 players for every single event next year, that means we will know who those players are very soon because there will be no reason for golfers to stay on the PGA Tour past the Tour Championship and past the President's Cup. So the President's Cup is in September, mid uh, the 15th or the 22nd, I think. I'd have to look, but it's like mid to late September, second or third week. So after that, there is no reason for these big-time golfers to stay on the PGA Tour if they're planning on being part of the 48. And if they're planning on being part of the 48, we kind of need to know that. Liv needs to get that all announced and figured out as far as teams go. Um, 
The other problem, so going back to this 48, 48 players thing, they can't just be arbitrary. Like you can't have players arbitrarily just creating teams. These need to be set. The idea around having a draft was phenomenal. If they had a draft every week, that'd be great. But there's less monetization in that if you're trying to sell these teams, right? NFL franchises are not going to draft every single week as much as we would love them to, or even every single year, as phenomenal as that would be. A once-a-year draft would be cool. But again, if you have franchise owners, it's never going to happen. That's that's not where they're going to put their put their money in this. Are they really going to turn down new stars, right? So think about the timing of this. If you get a situation in which Cam Smith wants to join Liv for whatever reason in May of 2023, halfway through their new year, are they really going to turn him down? In this structure, they have to, right? If you want to have any semblance of integrity and making sure that everything is on the up and up about these leagues, because there's already a couple of things that we're going to have issues with, you have to turn him down. But that goes against everything that the league is built for. So that's why I'm certain that by like October of this year, we're going to know all the guys who go, right? Well before the Masters, well before, it just, I think we're going to know well before that. Um, Now, here's one of the sticky situations when it comes to playing on live and using, I want to play less golf as your reason. Live quote, expects players to complete compete in numerous international Asian tour events. Okay. Before this Live Golf Series started, uh, the PIF, the Saudi financial arm, invested $200 million in the Asian tour, which is essentially, in my opinion, a backup plan to ensure that they in some way have access to OWGR points and to players. So you could, in theory, take the live golfers, uh, get on the same page, go play Asian tour events, and and gain access to OWGR points that way. And if you ever needed to fill fields or field rosters or field teams, uh, you could do that through players on the Asian tour. Okay, so that's like the backup plan. It's a $200 million backup plan which is wild. Asking golfers or expecting golfers to compete in numerous international Asian tour events does not jive with all of the comments that we've heard about these golfers getting to spend more time at home, getting to spend more time with their families, getting paid more to do less. That's been the number one talking point. So if you're playing, if you're a live golfer, who is now going to play 14 events in 2023, plus numerous Asian tour events. What do we think numerous is? Let's call it six. Six out of, I think their schedule's 14 or 16. So let's play, say they play six, plus four major championships if they can get into them. It's 24 events. That is more than what these guys were playing on the PGA Tour. What was Bryson playing? Not 24. What was Brooks playing? Not 24 times a year. So... I'm sure there'll be a new talking point and a new excuse, but if if this is true and this bears itself out, there's no playing less golf and being being home with the family. There's making more money and playing the same amount or more golf, um, but playing less golf is doesn't make sense. Here's the best part, and this is what I have such an issue with. Obviously, I hate where the money's coming from. I love I love some of the ideas like the team event. 
the draft, the even the shotgun start has grown on me in some situations. I think there's good and bad things to it. The golfers, I've seen some of the worst golf I've seen when I tune in, but that's that can be fixed. What they could get right is promotion and relegation. So the idea being that you could earn your spot into this league via the Asian Tour, for example, or if you're underperforming and one of the bottom three or four guys, you could be relegated out of Live Golf. That's strong, right? That's kind of what the... Like, relegation exists on the PGA Tour, right? You can lose your card, go back down to Corn Ferry, or if you're a Corn Ferry player, you could graduate. There is natural relegation in the PGA Tour system. The, the kind of the, the thing that it's missing is, yes, while you have your, you know, being promoted to the PGA Tour does not come with any guarantees, which is kind of the big missing piece here. It's kind of been the big missing piece for everybody for the last 20 years, is that there is no guarantee of success or of money by being on the PGA Tour. Now, if, now if, a, if a PGA Tour card guaranteed you a million dollars, now that would be different, right? That's kind of what is, is happening here because even if you are the worst player on Live Golf and you finish dead last every single week and you make 125000 a week times 14, what's that? 100,000 times 14 is 1.4. So you're making like 1.4 to $2 million uh, by being the worst guy on the tour? Yeah, I, I get it. There is a real relegation and promotion here that the PGA Tour only takes so far. Here's where I have an issue with a lot of this. As like, as you can probably imagine, imagine, I love, you know, being like the commissioner of the fantasy football league, right? Like I'm the guy that's like, well, that sucks. But like, we've got to stick to the constitution here. We've got to stick to the rules. We've got to make this fair for everybody. We've got to put on the best possible product. This is where I get lost in the whole thing because obviously, and we already know this, the captains and the guys that they have spent a lot of money on are protected from relegation. I get it. You spent $200 on Phil Mickelson to be the face. However, if Phil Mickelson is in the bottom three and should be relegated, he won't be. Same goes for other captains, which taints, it taints the whole thing. It's the same thing as when, so, so Liv has these great things that they can put into place because they've, they're a startup and they have no, nothing to answer to and no one to answer to. And you can put anything you want in place, but they're just not doing it right. The draft, amazing idea. Fans would have been all over this, except for the first two drafts. Um, you know, two of the teams were already pre-chosen. Like that's a that's a joke. That's a facade. That's a joke. Relegation, promotion, amazing. Yet you're going to protect some of your guys. Again, a facade, a joke. It's just like there are these half measures. That if they leaned into them, it would be incredible. But because of the way they're structured, unfortunately, they're not going to be able to lean into them. I don't even think they're doing the draft anymore. Are they even doing the? Uh, they might have even just discontinued the draft altogether, um, which kind of leads to why they're trying to build these super teams and some of the speculation that's coming out. So uh, in terms of recent speculation, if you care about Charles Barkley, he's at least going to listen to uh, conversations. You know, Charles Barkley... Played in the, the Bedminster Pro-Am. He's been very upfront saying, hey, if someone wants to pay me a lot of money to do less work or to do the same thing, I'm interested. Uh, I'll, I'll wait to see what offer comes across. 
I don't know if that's a good investment for Liv or not. Maybe it is. I like Charles. I like what he brings to golf in the few times that we see him. Um, having him 14 times a year, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think they're, I think they're at least moving the needle with some bigger names. The obviously big speculation is who else is going to go. There's been countless conversations about whether Patrick Cantlay and Hideki Matsuyama are going to go. There have been countless conversations about whether Cam Smith is going to go, our latest uh, major champion, our reigning open champion, which would be an amazing get for Liv. And there has been plenty of speculation about sparking the all-Aussie team, right? So that would probably be Cam Smith. It would probably be Adam Scott. It would probably be Mark Leishman. They're all very close. Greg Norman obviously has a lot of pull from the Aussie guys. And Scott and Leishman certainly fall within the category of kind of these aging veterans that might be looking for a payday, while Cam Smith could just get buku bucks to go be one of the faces of these teams. So that is logical. And I believe I believe Hideki is going to go because I think they're going to open up the, the Brinks truck for him. And I think you're going to start to see these super teams generated. I believe the 12 teams that you see next year are going to be widely different than what you see now. They are going to be probably uh, structured in a way of what is the best way to monetize it, whether that's by country, whether it's by guys that might play similar similar manufacturers or have similar schedules or similar uh, viewpoints on things. I, I think they're going to be structured a lot, a lot differently. And that is to prepare themselves to become franchises. And I think you might see a scenario in which, like, I don't know, I, I can't even think of what the team, are Bryson and Phil on the same team? I don't know that. But if Bryce, like you could see a scenario in which Bryson and Phil are on the same team and then they are, they buy the team, right? So that's the other thing that you have going on here. Uh, the $200 million that Phil got or the $125 million that Bryson got could be exponentially more if they now own the franchise that they play for, which when you go and sell, like when you go and sell sponsorships and when you go and get rights and when you go and do whatever you want, now you're directly benefiting from that. That move to live is worth much more than even the upfront money and even the prize money that you're paying for. There's a multiple there. So it would almost be silly for those guys not to figure out a way to buy in to their own franchise. That's what I think we'll see from at least a couple of these guys. I, again, it probably depends on how much these franchises are going to go for. But if they, I mean, if they sell for $100 million, you could very easily see all these guys get together. There, you could see Bryson and Brooks get together. Those guys already invest in things together, right? I know there's this huge, like, do these guys like each other? Are they friends? Do they hate each other? They invest in companies, the same companies. There's a, an energy drink company they're both invested in. Like, it's not uncommon. I think we could see something on a larger scale here. As we get to the Tour Championship and the President's Cup, um, we're going to start to see the dust, the dust settle here, obviously. And we are going to see a scenario in which um, the, last of the, guys, the last of the guys go over there. So some of these deadlines are looming, and we'll know soon. Um, if you want me to rampantly speculate, I think Cam Smith goes after the, after the President's Cup. I think there's been a commitment to you know, being to, to Captain Immelman. And I, I think he probably goes. I think Hideki's on his way. And I think you might get um, one or two more of like Neiman slash 
Cantlay slash Xander slash that might be it. One of those guys. And then maybe a surprise. Um, I was kind of just looking back because I was thinking about this the other night. You know, how how much have we gotten right about this? Um, so I went and pulled who played the Saudi International. You know, the list of commitments that they got. That was really the first true test back in, uh, I think it was early February, of who is going to have to get a waiver from the PGA Tour to go play this event? And would those waivers be issued? Remember that? We had that conversation. Well, here's the list of guys that that committed to that event. You'll you'll kind of see a lot of overlap on who's already gone. So uh, Abe Anser, he's already gone. Audrey Arnes, he's still around. Rafa Cabrera-Breo, uh, Paul Casey and Bryson DeChambeau, they're both gone. Jason Duffner, Tommy Fleetwood, Sergio, he's gone. Terrell Hatton has stayed for now. Dustin Johnson, Jason Kokrak, they're both gone. Shane Lowry has stayed for now. Graham McDowell, Phil Mickelson, Kevin Na, all gone. Louis Ustazen, Ian Poulter, uh, Henrik Stenson, Bubba Watson, Lee Westwood, all gone. So that leaves Joaquin Neiman, Xander Shoffley, Adam Scott, HV3, Johnny Vegas. That's it. That's it. So basically the majority of these guys who played in the Saudi International are already gone. So that that's why you think the list starts to be, if you're looking for po, uh, post-President's Cup, post-FedEx Cup guys who are going to go, the short list is likely Joaquin Neiman, who's been closely tied to his agency, and his agency has moved a lot of guys to live. Uh, Shane Lowry's been a little iffy. You could see Terrell Hatton, right? Um that's why Xander has been closely rumored, although he's kind of poured a little bit of cold water on that recently. Not that that means anything. Adam Scott, HV3, right? Like if you told me that Adam Scott, uh, Cam Smith, Joaquin Neiman, and Hideki play in the President's Cup and then go, I would not be surprised. If you told me HV3 went, I would not be surprised. Um and then you throw in maybe like a Terrell Hatton, maybe a Shane Lowry, maybe a, I don't know. Tommy, Tommy is kind of thrown, thrown cold water on it as well. Um, that to me feels like the natural path that we're going on. And then those guys are, so now they'll have like 28-ish legitimate like guys that played on the PGA Tour at one point out of the 48. And then they'll have fill those other 20 with, Asian tour guys or, you know, up and coming stars, whatever that, whatever that ends up looking like. And that appears to be the league moving forward. Now, very possible that we get a couple of surprises, right? Um, we've seen that. I think it was a big surprise when Brooks went. I think it was a big surprise when DJ went. Uh, we've been surprised already. So there is a chance that we get more surprises, but I think that's the most logical path moving forward to not only kind of put a bow on guys that were already at least somewhat interested, have played in the Saudi International, and also would make sense for live golf. A lot has happened, and a lot will happen. So as you're listening to this, there is probably six weeks or so, eight weeks until the President's Cup is over. That's probably when we'll do, we'll do another recap on all this, another thing to get us all caught up because that should give us closer to the final roster. We'll know more and more, but I don't think we're going to have to do another update or I don't think there's going to be necessarily much to update between now and then. 
Um, let me know what you think, right? You know, some of these super teams that are being built, who you think is going, who you think is staying, I can make a case for and against a lot of these guys and what their merits are and what their value is to live golf or what their value is to the PGA Tour. You let me know. I think an Aussie team makes sense. Um, I think that's coming. I think that's logical. And I think we'll get a Japanese team headed by Hideki. But let me know who you think's going, who you think's staying. You can tweet me at Rick Rungoods. You can comment on the video version of this podcast. But I think we'll put a pin in it for now. This has been another episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. We'll catch you next time.